Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Filmmaker Nicholas Winding Refn, who has a new Netflix series dropping on January 5th, Copenhagen Cowboy, here on Crew Call. You have a knack for creating these vigilantes, whether it's Ryan Gosling's Driver and Julian, Al Fanning and Neon Demon. Tell me about how you found Mew. After working with Al Fanning, I was like, I. I can own, in a way, the female protagonist of this show had to be a woman. It was like the extension of Mats Mikkelsen as One Eye or Ryan Gosling in Drive or Vitaya in Only God Forgives the Lieutenant. It's like having done a trilogy of masculinity, it was in a way a natural evolution into the femininity. And so being surrounded by women at home and being at an age my kids are where they look for role models outside of their home, it became more like, what could that be? And then it just became like a instinctual extension of myself to be a woman named Mew. And did this evolve from Maniac Cop? Because the last I knew you were working on Maniac Cop and then this came about. Well, this came about more because we were stuck in Denmark during the pandemic. We had decided to live here. And I didn't really know how the world was going to turn out. And I kind of had come up with the concept of what I wanted to do. And Netflix Nordic had been established. And once they kind of heard that I was thinking about extending from the Pusher trilogy into a new kind of narrative, they very quickly came on board by saying, what's the concept? I told them the concept. They're like, how much do you need? I gave them a number. They were like, okay, we're in. So it was an incredibly fast and seductive deal because then we spent five months writing it, myself and the other writers. And I only, I hired a wonderful crew of female writers. And um, right after those five months, I was in prep. And then I shot for eight months and two months prior after that, we were at Venice. So it was such a fast go, 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 go and instinctual creative journey that I enjoyed every minute of it. And being in Denmark was in a way a very nice setting for me. Was it faster than the Amazon series as far as how, how fast it came together? Uh, no, it had the same kind of kind of um, uh, momentum, you know, where 
you know, the Amazon show was done on a deal at the Soho house in London and then straight into kind of almost production and prep and, and scripts. Um, the only difference is that here I was working with a studio that actually supported the vision and uh, have really been there from the beginning till the end. Now that we are at our launch, um, which I, you know, kind of feel incredibly grateful because I'm working with the people that changed the industry. You know, you can say there's the entertainment industry before Netflix and the entertainment industry after Netflix. And, you know, who doesn't want to be with the cool kids? You leave us with a cliffhanger. Can we expect a second season or is that still to be determined? I think that's a, a, a decision I'll leave to the higher powers, but um, I hopefully there's a generation of many that will demand it. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is what a brilliant setup. Can you talk about the cultures that we're seeing here? First of all, let's start with the ritual where they're all taking a piece of her hair. Is that an old school ritual where someone fertile comes in and all the wives collect a piece of hair as a piece of good luck? Yeah, a lot of it was kind of designed, it was almost like in three blocks. You would start in this Balkan superstitious environment of demonic and crime. And then you would move in towards a more uh, urban environment, a modern day Copenhagen, and obviously bring in a whole Chinese angle. And then towards the end, as I said, I think I'm going to go to outer space now. Uh, <laughs> Netflix was like, okay, um, fine. <laughs> Um, but yes, the actual rituals themselves in the beginning are, it's based on real kind of urban legends of, uh, superstition and how superstition still very much dominates certain cultures around the world. She's Serbian. Um, and obviously the myth of being impregnated at an age that is literally impossible, you know, they have gone out of their way to buy through the underworld, what is known as a lucky coin that you have around the house to bring luck. And her biggest wish is to be pregnant. But as Mew sees, she's all evil and therefore she needs to clean house. Now the mobster brother, I watched part one and part two far apart. The mobster brother is still out there, isn't he? Oh, you'll see. Yeah, because I thought everything was heading toward, oh, he's going to come back. And the fact that you left him dangling is a great thing because, I mean, there's a great revenge that has to take place. But with Mew, what I think is really interesting is you've created a protagonist and we, we go on a journey with her and we know little about her background. That's part of the suspense, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the kind of same DNA that you have with the male protagonist versions of her in the other films. It's that it's the mysterious background that creates their future. 
It's the kind of interpretation of a hero and a different kinds of hero. At the same time, the humanity that they are sent to earth to protect innocence. So in a way, Copenhagen Cowboy became my own creation of what I would say a modern day female superhero would be like. That's what I was thinking, especially when we get to the end. The other thing is, can you talk about, it's multilingual. Can you talk about just creating a, a series like that? That I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. Well, I think one of the things, having been away from Denmark for so many years and then coming back and, and now working here and, and, and living here as well, you know, Denmark has gone through enormous trends fusion and transformation and um, uh, you know and, and and the bilingualness is is in a way a much more evolved and present version of Denmark than it used to be when I was a lot younger it's something my kids are much more uh, receptive to and the idea of you know living in the country of Hence, Christian Anderson and Bernie Sanders, you know, if you combine that, you would probably have the perfect society. Um, makes it a magical setting and using pigs as a kind of uh, animal of definition gives it by itself a superstitious counterpoint. Um, you know, it, when you make something like this, you're always extending your your fetish of what the future should be like. And for me, the bilingual and the growing up, because when I came to New York when I was eight years old, I didn't speak any word of English. So I remember coming to New York and for a long time until I began to learn the language via school, I would just hear sounds of all different kinds of languages. And it always resonated with me. And I thought, God, I wonder what the world would be like if everyone spoke their own language and yet they still understood each other. Maybe that is someday what the world will be like. Also because of technology can maybe evolve so you can build a chip in your ear that you no longer have to talk, you know, a consensus of English, but it's more like you talk as your extension of who you are, your cultural heritage. Because language is a very personal thing. You know, it's a definition of who you are. And for so long, English has been dominating, but in a way, it's no longer the language that actually benefits most people. It's just still the norm. And so I thought in the show here, by having all these different languages, reminded me of when I was little and not subtitling it, but more like they would extend to understanding along the way, just felt like, well, that's what I want to do. And it's again, it's a part of the shooting in chronologically order because the Chinese component started as a smaller area and grew and grew and grew and grew. And then suddenly I had everyone speak Chinese and I went to Angela who is who plays Mew and I said, now you also understand Chinese. So you respond whenever they say something as if you understood it. 
And it just felt such a, um, you know, fairy tale, but yet natural evolution of how I see my kids observing the world, you know, that the idea of accepting one, another person 100% their own to the extent that they even you speak a different tongue, but yet you understand each other emotionally. I think it's just the beginning of a new form of communication. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Have you ever met David Lynch? And what was that conversation like if you did, in fact, meet him? I've, I've never met him. Um, uh but I did think, I think our kids had a play date last time we were in LA. Uh -huh. so, but I, I've never met him. But I've, I've spent many hours with Alessandro Jodorowsky, though. <laughs> Can you talk about Lynch? I mean, I feel that you're, you're soul, you know, you're soul brothers. <laughs> or soul father uh -huh. and son. I mean, I love him. I, I, I don't yeah. know him. I love his work. I love the concept of him i love his contribution i love his, his inspiration you know i mean there's so there's such a struggle to retain your originality in everything you do nowadays that anyone that stays true to themselves from the beginning till the end is an admiration you know and um doesn't bend to the conform of normalcy and yet understands how to use the medium you know I have nothing but uh, excitement for. You know, speaking about conformity and bending, you know, after Drive, Hollywood came for you. There was a legendary story that Amy Pascal wanted you for at Sony for one of the Spider-Man films. Oh, wow. You know, because we need original filmmakers over in Hollywood. And I think you could cross over to a mainstream audience do you ever think about that or are you still, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to stick to my own guns. There is no win in making a film by committee. Um, I've always um, cherished my independency. I think that waking up in the morning, going to work and paint the way you wanted to look and go home, is still the most satisfying experience ever for me. But it's not for everyone. And certain people seek other situations, other opportunities. But if you don't have the power of control at the end of the day or the ability to manipulate it into your favor, then... It is a committee. And if you have to spend your entire day struggling just to get 
a compromise across, then what example am I to my own kids when I keep on talking about when you work, just never compromise, stay true to who you are. It's something I've spoken many, many times over many years while Alejandro on about being true to yourself and, and daring to be true to yourself. Hollywood is very seductive. It's very intoxicating. But it's also a system that's falling apart desperately. And I think that they're doing it to themselves more than anything else. So who knows? I would love to make something grandiose and big. Um, but I would always want to retain my freedom and my creative impulse and my creative control. Um, otherwise, I'll, I'll, I, don't, I don't know how fun it would be. And if it's not fun, then life changes and it affects you in ways that I don't even want to go into. Um, because I, I don't ever want to live a life without having said I did it my way. You know, it was the only advice I ever got from a filmmaker that meant anything was from Eli Kassan when I was 25. And I met him at a Just Done Pusher, and I had a lot of arrogance in me. And so I expected Eli Kassan to give me the great kind of wisdom of the future. And he said to me, do it your way. And that has always resonated with me. And I think the people that do it their way, whether they work in within Hollywood or not, is always ad admirable. And I respect anyone that can, that decides or or or, or is, wants to fight for their vision to the extent of, well, I'll take less as long as I can do my. Um, I uh, I think that's an important thing we should teach the younger generation that, you know, there's only um, so many years in life and you should make it worthwhile. But that's for me. I'm not saying it's for anyone else. You know, that's very ind individual choice. Um, but I do, you know, at the end of the day, cherish my my freedom over everything else. I heard you speak at Can this past May, and it was a similar echo to your encore speech after the premiere of Too Old to Die Young. Look, you've always been pro-theatrical, but you know that we're in some sort of crossroads in the world where audiences are taking to streaming and you're obviously, you know, adapting to that, right? And it's exciting to see you do that. <clears throat> My question to you is, for the type of films that you want to make, film noir and crime films and more, is there still a place on the big screen or is it more of a struggle to get those types of projects off the ground for the big screen? Yeah, I would say that the theatrical market is its very much its own redef redefinition of its existence. I still love the idea of going into a an auditorium with a public and experience something. I mean, if a week ago, me and my youngest daughter, Lizzie Lou, we went to see Belle, the Japanese animation movie in the movie theater. 
And obviously our television was bigger than the screen, but the idea of just going out together and taking the time and, and focusing on it is a very, is what makes it so special. Um, um, so in a way I kind of feel for cinema to survive, we kind of need to go back and make films again, but there has to be also a ecosystem or an ecosystem, excuse me, that reflects the opportunities, you know, but also, you know, by what streaming has done has also, you know, forced the theatrical market to reinvent themselves as well, just like television has. And, you know, television in a way lost the battle to streaming. I don't think theatrical will ever go away. I think theatrical will always exist but it needs to be challenged in order to become better or more sufficient, more meaningful, you know, and, but so does content, you know, right now there's 200 platforms producing content 24 hours a day globally. I mean, the amount of noise that that produces, you know, is also an overextension of, of, of emotions. And I think that with the theatrical, at least that's a way to cut through a lot of it. So I think I'm going to make a movie next year, or I'm planning on, I want to make a movie next year. Because in a way, now is the time to make one. Any because idea what genre? Can you tease anything? Um, I don't, I'm waiting for the comment to hit me in the head. <laughs> and tell me what it is. Do you think you could still make Drive today for the big screen? Uh, of course. I just think it would be very difficult to finance because the ecosystem is such in free fall. But absolutely, I, I think you can make any film with the heart nowadays. Uh, in a way, it will probably be good for the system, you know? It will probably be um, something that would move things forward again. Nick Winding Refn, thank you so much. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.